0: This is the InFocus Podcast from the
1: Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the InFocus Podcast. I'm your host Ji Sampad. Earlier this week, on January 17th, two Indians and a Pakistani were killed in a massive explosion in Abu Dhabi. The blast is believed to have been the result of a drone attack by Yemen's Houthi rebels. This attack on the capital of the United Arab Emirates has once again drawn the spotlight to a conflict that has been going on in this region for more than 6 years, the war in Yemen. This war which broke out in 2015 following a period of political instability in the aftermath of the 2011 Arab Spring Revolutions has become really complicated with multiple warring factions We have the Saudi-backed coalition, we have the Houthis, we have the Southern Transitional Council or the STC, which is another separatist group. And then there are countries such as France and the UK too, which have been helping the Saudi-backed coalition. And we even have some terrorist groups such as Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, uh, which have also entered the fray with uh, deadly attacks. So all this has triggered what is believed to be one of the worst humanitarian crises uh, in the world right now. So, what are the factors driving this conflict? What is at stake for the different players? And is there any chance of peace returning to the region anytime soon? We'll look for some answers to these questions from Stanley Johnny, the Hindus, International Affairs Editor. Stanley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sambath. Stanley, to start with, can you give us a quick background on who are the different parties in this conflict? Who are the Houthis? who launched this drone attack on Abu Dhabi and why did they uh, do this attack on the UAE uh, in the first place?
0: Yeah, Sambet, as you uh, as you said, this war has been going on for the last, uh, for almost seven years. It started in 2015 March when the Saudis started bombing. The Saudi led coalition in which the UAE was also a part when they started bombing Yemen in 2015 March. So the reason for the Saudi attack was that uh, you know they saw Houthis as an Iranian proxy, and if you look at the map, you could see you know Yemen is in the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula, and Saudi Arabia shares a long border with Yemen, and the Saudis saw that uh, an Iranian proxy capturing power in Yemen would pose a security and strategic threat uh, to Saudi Arabia because Yemen is also it's also strategically important, you know. Bab al-Mandeb Strait, which is a chalk point, you know, through which the Red Sea opens into uh, the Arabian Sea, through the Gulf of Aden. So it is, the Bab al-Mandeb sits on Yemen. So, which means if if something happens, if the if Saudi Arabia will have a hostile power controlling the whole of Yemen, that means even its access to the Arabian Sea would be, from the from the Red Sea coast would be cut off. So, Saudi Arabia saw this as a major threat to its security interests. So, in 2015, they cobbled together an alliance along with the UAE and other countries and started bombing Yemen. So, by that time, the Houthis had already taken over Yemen's capital. So, the Saudi calculation was that, you know, Houthis, they were not very powerful at that time. They were backed by, yeah, the Saudis, you know, they were, their claim was that they were backed by the Iranians. And they are uh, zaidi they, they, they are from the Zaidi community of Yemen, which is Zaydism is, is a branch of Shiaism. So they make up some roughly uh, one third of Yemen's population. Uh, 25 million people are there in Yemen. So the Saudi calculation was that their attack on Yemen would drive the Houthis out of Sanaa quickly and that they can kind of, you know, bolster the Saudi-backed government of President Abdurrahman Sur Hadi, who succeeded Ali Abdullah Saleh. You know who was the long-time strongman president of Yemen, who had to resign in the wake of the so-called Arab Spring protests in 2011. So the Saudi plan was to kind of restore Mansour Hadi's, President Mansour Hadi's power in Sanaa, so that you will have a client regime in Yemen. But the problem is that it's been seven years, almost seven years, and the Houthis are still in Sanaa. Not only in Sanaa, the entire northern part of Yemen is controlled by the Houthis, and the Saudi-backed government. It was, Aden was its capital in the south. But even in the south, now there is a new separatist group called Southern Transitional Council. So the saudi backed government is practically, it is a non-existent mm-hmm. government. It has forces. There are forces loyal to this government. But the president is not in Yemen. The president is somewhere, in, is, is somewhere in Saudi Arabia. But the forces are there fighting the Houthis on the one side and Southern Transitional Council on the other side. So it's a pretty much complicated picture. To understand it, you know, put it simply, you look at Yemen's map. Northern Yemen is now controlled by the Houthis, including Sanaa, Yemen's capital. And parts of Yemen are controlled by forces that are loyal to the Saudi-backed government of President Abdurrahman Surhadi. And in the southern part of Yemen, there is Southern Transitional Council, which, are, which is a separatist group that is controlling Aden and parts of southern Yemen. And the UAE is backing Southern Transitional Council. So what triggered, as you asked, the latest, most recent attack of the Houthis on the UAE is that in the recent weeks, the UAE supported groups in Yemen. So which is there, is, there are different militia groups in the country. One is the Giant's Brigade. And there is this joint forces, so they are backed by the UAE. They join hands with the government forces. The government means I am referring to the Saudi-backed the government of President Mansour Hadi. They join hands and started attacking the Houthis together. So basically, on the Arabian coast, they are attacking Houthi positions, and they made some gains in in recent weeks. So. I think this is what triggered the Houthis to carry out the attack on the UAE. Because by carrying out the attack, again, you look at the map, the Houthis have been carrying out attacks on Saudi Arabia for the last many years. But Saudi Arabia is just across the border. You can fly your drones or launch your missiles into Saudi Arabia. But UAE is far away. So to attack UAE, you will have to fly your armed drones either across the Saudi territories or through the Gulf. So we don't know how did the... The Houthis carry out the attack, but the fact that the UAE has also confirmed that it was most likely a UAE-drawn a attack, which means the Houthis have effectively demonstrated their capability to the UAE that if you don't stay out of Yemen, we are going to target you. We can target you and we are going to attack you again. I think this is the message the Houthis were trying to send to the Emirates.
1: Right. What I understand, you are suggesting that the Houthis uh, launched a separate attack on the UAE because forces allied to the UAE were were attacking their positions in Yemen. Now, wasn't the UAE a part of the Saudi-backed coalition?
0: Yeah, that's right. The UAE was part of the Saudi-backed coalition. And then in 2018, when again the UAE-backed forces were attacking the Houthis, the Houthis had carried out an attack on the UAE in 2018. At that time, the UAE didn't confirm those reports. The, the Houthis claimed that they carried out an attack. The UAE didn't confirm the reports. But eventually, what you saw that, you know, the war in Yemen had entered into a stalemate. Nobody was winning. And whoever was controlling whatever parts of the country were clinging on to those territories. So the UAE eventually, and the UAE was also exploring, I think, somewhat autonomous foreign policy Autonomous of the Saudi influence in recent years. So the UAE announced that they were quitting Yemen. So they pulled back most of their troops from Yemen. So in recent weeks, this happened after the 2018 attack. So the Saudis, the Houthis in recent years, in the last couple of years, were entirely focused on the Saudi backed forces and as well as Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia doesn't have boots on the ground. Saudi Arabia is backing the government forces on the ground and then the Saudis are carrying out air strikes. And the Saudi air strikes are causing enormous damages on infrastructure and it's killing civilians, etc. etc. And in retaliation the Houthis are launching ground attacks or missile attacks into the Saudi mainland. So that's how the war has been going on for quite some time. So the UAE, you know, after 2018, having seen that you know, there is no way out, the war is not reaching any conclusion, the pullback most of their troops. And, uh, you know, there was also a reason because in the government forces, the UAE saw there is an Islahi party, which is a Muslim Brotherhood aligned party. So, the UAE sees the Muslim Brotherhood as a main threat to its regional ambitions. So, wherever you see, in Egypt, in Tunisia, in Libya, in all these countries, the UAE is taking a consistent position against the Muslim Brotherhood and the Muslim Brotherhood aligned groups. So, in Yemen... The major force within the government, the pro-government forces was the Islahi Party. The UAE also did not want to support them. So, in the last couple of years, what happened is that the Islahi Party was completely sidelined, and the Southern Transition Council had established some kind of authority over Aden. So the UAE, even after it pulled back its troops, it had maintained, it had retained some kind of influence in Yemen. And now you know, now the war in Yemen has entered into a critical territory because the fighting is going on in Marib. Marib is a northern governorate right, which is currently outside the hands of Houthis, and the government forces were losing Marib in last year in 2021. So it was at this time the UAE backed the forces started fighting the Houthis along with the government forces. So UAE doesn't have troops now in Yemen, but the UAE backed forces because of the changing you know, geopolitical situations, the changing dynamics on the ground, they started fighting the Houthis again, along with the local forces. I think that is the trigger of uh, even the Houthis' strategy calculus.
1: Right. You, you mentioned a little while earlier that the UAE were hostile to the Muslim Brotherhood, but are the Saudis also hostile uh, to the Muslim Brotherhood and their uh, parties?
0: Yeah. The Saudis, if, if you look at other countries, definitely the Saudis are also hostile to the Muslim Brotherhood. But in the case of Yemen, the Saudis do not have uh, you know, other choices because they started betting on Mansur Hadi's government. And Mansur Hadi himself is not in the country. There are scattered forces. And within the forces, the most dominant force that emerged over the years was the Slahi Party. So the Saudis, the dilemma they faced was that on one side you have Houthis so if you don't fight them, according to the Saudi, or at least if you don't, either you have to keep fighting or you have to reach some kind of an agreement with them to accept the Yemen's war theater. So uh, otherwise, you know, your interest would be compromised. So the Saudis saw that if you don't fight them, what would happen is that the Houthis would expand further into the south and then they, they would eventually take over the whole of the country. So you'll have to continue to resist them. So, to continue to resist them, the Saudis, all the Saudis had in Yemen was these forces. So, the Saudis were in a dilemma, so they continued, because there, for them, the bigger threat they faced was that, the Houthis. So, that they continued to back the government and the forces that were aligned, the large coalition of the troops, including the Islahi party, that were aligned with the government. Uh, That was the Saudi strategy. But for the UAE, you know, UAE doesn't share a border with uh, Yemen. So UAE doesn't feel the heat like the Saudis did. And the UAE also saw that the war was not reaching any conclusion. So and, and so the UAE had largely stuck to its overall position of opposing all the different variants of Muslim Brotherhood. And while at the same time, it, would, it, it had its own proxies and it had cultivated its own proxies in Yemen, which is the Southern Transitional Council. Basically, the Southerners in Yemen. So, the UAE had scripted relatively different approach
1: towards Yemen. Right. Now, uh, we've also been uh, seeing sporadic reports that it's not just regional conflict in its entirety because we know from these reports that other countries such as France and the UK have been giving intelligence and other kinds of uh, support to the Saudi coalition And until recently, I think until Joe Biden's administration came on the scene, I think the U.S. has also been sort of looking away or sort of mildly backing the Saudi coalition, Saudi being an ally. But is that likely to change? And what do these countries such as U.S., U.K. and I don't know, Russia maybe have at stake in this war?
0: I think the Iran prism, everybody was looking at the crisis in Yemen through the Iran prism. You see, the conflict began in 2015, March. So, which means a few months before the Iran nuclear deal was signed, the Saudis were furious at that time that the Americans were holding direct talks with the Iranians. So, and they saw that at the same time when the Americans were reaching out to the Iranians and holding talks with Iran, an Iranian proxy was making gains in our backyard. That's how Saudi Arabia saw it. And also in 2015, Saudi Arabia had the new king, King Salman, and a new defense minister Ahmad bin Salman, who is now the crown prince. he At that time, he was the defense minister. And the Saudis wanted to do something to check this. So they were upset with the Americans. They were also terrified by the growing Iranian influence. So the solution they came up with was to attack Yemen. And they actually expected that the Houthis, who were, you know, a ragtag militia group with no battle experience, who took over Sana, they, they hoped I think uh, they, they, they thought that they could just overrun them within days. And Obama administration, which was anyway going ahead with the nuclear talks with the Iranians, just uh, looked away or rather offered intelligence cooperation with the Saudis because the Obama administration wanted to placate the Saudis, who they knew were angry with the Iran nuclear talks. So that's how the United States started cooperating with the Saudis. And once the Obama administration was gone, Trump had adopted a much more, you know, pro-Saudi line because this anti-Iranism became the center of the Trump administration's policy towards West Asia. So the Trump administration continued to back Saudi Arabia's military adventures in Yemen. So even when those military adventures had turned Yemen into what UNICEF calls a living hell of modern times. So so this is, I think this is the context of the American involvement or generally the Western involvement. They all saw that the attack in Yemen, the Saudi bombing in Yemen, was inevitable to check growing Iranian influence in the region. And they all thought at the beginning, in my opinion, was that they could, the Saudis could easily defeat the Houthis. But it's been seven years. The Houthis only grew more powerful. The, the main problem was that Saudi Arabia doesn't have a strong uh, ally on the ground. So all these forces, whether it was the Islahi party, or the forces that were loyal to oh, the former Yemeni government, etc., etc., they all were scattered and Saudis were trying to put them together and fight against the Houthis. On the other side, the Houthis were a homegrown movement, at least among the Zaidis, among the Shia minority of Yemen, and they stood the ground. So that's where they all erred wrong. So once the Biden administration came to power, and there were already calls for the United States to revise its policy towards the war, also, you know, the humanitarian crisis in Yemen was making headlines. The United States was being constantly attacked by human rights organizations, etc, etc. And then Biden, President Biden announced that it would not support the Saudi intervention in Yemen anymore. So, technically speaking, the United States stopped supporting the Saudis. But other countries, other Western countries, continue to offer intelligence cooperation, etc., etc., to the Saudis. But the problem is that Saudi Arabia is, you know, Saudi Arabia is stuck in, in a stalemate. Because they are not able to defeat the Houthis. If they couldn't defeat the Houthis in the last seven years, they are not going to defeat them. That's for sure. I think even MPS knows that. But they can't live with the Houthis either. Because the Houthis are continually, continuously challenging the Saudis by firing rockets into Saudi territory. So they will have to dial down tensions. How will you dial down tensions? So you can't do it unless you reach out to the Iranians. Because apparently, even the UN says that Iran continues to help the Houthis. So this is the dilemma which Saudi Arabia is now facing. So if you want to, either you continue a war without reaching any result, or you reach out to the Iranians, you are whatever, your sworn enemies, your regional rivals in the region and try to find a solution to the crisis in Yemen.
1: Right. Uh, you spoke a little while back about the UNICEF calling uh, the situation in Yemen uh, living hell. Could you talk a little bit about the magnitude or the nature of the humanitarian crisis that is ongoing in the middle of this war?
0: Yeah, it is uh, catastrophic because uh, you look at the numbers which the UN releases. So, UN says 80% of Yemen's, 24 million people, need urgent humanitarian assistance. 80%. And then uh, it also says uh, a child, every 10 minutes, a child dies in Yemen. And some 2 million children need treatment for malnutrition. And millions of children are out of school for the last many years, 5-6 years. And see... Uh, And Yemen's crisis, I think, humanitarian crisis is multifaceted. Because on the one side, you have an ongoing conflict. The Saudis keep bombing Yemen for the last seven years. And the Houthis, who control half of the country, do not have any humanitarian consideration. They also carry out all kinds of attacks. They use human shields. There are multiple allegations against the Houthis as well. So the people in Yemen are stuck between these two sides. And uh, so you have a conflict in which, anyway, in which uh, thousands of people have been killed in the last two, seven years. And then there is a complete collapse of the social services at a time of the pandemic. Imagine. So just a couple of years ago, there was a raging cholera wave in Yemen. Hundreds of thousands of people were attacked by cholera. And many people, many kids, including children, died. So uh, and now then, then the pa- pandemic came. The social services of the country, because this country doesn't have a proper functioning government, because the, the internationally recognized government of Yemen, which is practically non-existent, and the Houthis have a supreme council, and they have an administration operating from Sanaa, which is fighting a war. And in, this, in the south, there is another separatist entity. So there is no proper government in the country. So the social services have, you know, practically collapsed. And then thirdly, there is a hunger problem. That's what the, the UN says, 80% of the people are dependent on international aid, and the country is on the brink of a famine. So this is a multifaceted crisis, a conflict, collapse of the governmental agencies and social services, and there is a hunger problem. So it's pretty bad, you know, it is it is, it is tragic that international the international community has just, I mean, besides these calls for help, besides these numbers the UN releases in every quarter, Beyond that, there is no meaningful effort to end the war. That is surprising.
1: And on this humanitarian crisis aspect, there are also some logistical issues due to the the siege of various cities. I I believe there is one port on the Red Sea through which most of the supplies enter the the mainland, enter the the interior parts of the country. And and because of war and siege of that particular port, uh, supplies are not able to reach large populations.
0: Yeah, that's right. The Saudis have imposed an aerial and naval blockade on the country because they say that if they lift the blockade, the Houthis would get weapons from the Iranians all the way from the Gulf, uh, you know, through the Strait of Hormuz and the Gulf of Oman to the Arabian, through the Arabian coast. So they had imposed a blockade on Hodeida, And so necessary humanitarian assistance is not reaching Yemen. And there is, of course, the Saudis are controlling Yemen skies as well. So the blockade is uh, is, is the it's uh, it's actually adding uh, to the crisis,
1: right? And what has been India's stand vis-a-vis the different actors in the war theater in Yemen? Because we lost two Indian civilians in the the drone attack. Has there been any moves from India's side uh, in this regard?
0: India's textbook approach to these conflicts in West Asia is that is to stay neutral. So in Yemen's case also, India doesn't make much noise about the issue. But I think overall, if you look at The way Indian government operates, overall Indian position is more or less aligned with that of the coalition, the Saudi UAE coalition that is backing the government of the internationally recognized government. Because even the UN recognized government is, UN recognized president is Abdurrahman Surhadi, Hadi. Whereas the Houthis, even if they are controlling Sanaa, the Houthis are referred to as rebels. So that is what India's overall position is. But on the conflict, I think ongoing conflict within the country, India doesn't usually take a position. But when it comes to the attack on the UAE, because here, UAE is the third country, even though UAE may be involved in the conflict, but this attack took place inside UAE's territories. And the missiles were launched, or the drones were launched from Yemen, and two Indians were killed. So in this particular instance, India has has articulated a clear position so, yesterday, MEA issued a statement. The external affairs minister had tweeted, uh, denouncing the attack, saying that uh, these drone attacks on the UAE are unacceptable, etc., et
1: Right. We are running out of uh, time, Stanley. So, uh, before we wind up, uh, any concluding uh, points you want to make in terms of the chances uh, for the return of peace to Yemen in the near-to-medium-term uh, future?
0: The situation, I think, over the last five, six years has become much more complex. Now there are multiple factors, multiple power centers in Yemen. To find a sustainable solution, you will have to find, you have have to reach consensus or a solution that is acceptable to all, which means the government of Manzur Hadi, the Houthis, the Southern Transitional Council, and they, are, they all are also backed by external powers now. So there is an additional layer. The Houthis are backed by the Iranians, the Southern Transitional Council is backed by the Emiratis, and the government of Mansur Hadi is backed by the Saudis. So, you need, you need negotiations. You need negotiations between the parties of the conflict, Houthis, government, and the Southerners. And then you need these external powers, which are backing these parties of the conflict. So, you need them also to come together to reach a conclusion on how to resolve the conflict the saudis the iranians and the emirates so i mean it's already complicated it's multi layered so you need to have a multi layered approach and then you know sort out the differences and then find uh, and then try to reconstruct the country that is the only practical way forward because i don't see a military solution to a conflict that is so complicated because there is no power inside the country that can take over the whole of yemen the Houthis, they control the north, and it's been stuck for the last many years. It's in a stalemate. If they could take over Mari, I mean, you know, they could uh, expand their position in the country, but it doesn't mean that they can extend it to the south or other parts of the country. And definitely the, uh, the groups in the south are also stuck. Their interests and their support base is uh, basically limited to, to the southern part of Yemen. So, it's a stalemate. The conflict is a stalemate and the solution should come through talks, not through the barrel of the guns.
1: Right. Uh, So, it's a very complicated mess uh, in Yemen right now and uh, clearly a military solution looks really uh, difficult and and there is no other go as you have pointed out except by having all the parties uh, come to the table and there are not just one or two parties but it's like a russian doll of parties with proxies and agents on the ground and layers and layers of different players exerting their influence uh, we'll probably come back to this topic once again as uh, as the story develops thank you so much stanley for sharing your views and thoughts on this thank, thank you for joining us thank you in focus we'll be back soon